Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash XUP. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Bear AG. Welcome to this Peer Voice Talks on Chronic Kidney Disease in Type 2 Diabetes. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Pontalis Sarafidis. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hi, I'm Pantelis Sarafidis. I'm an associate professor of nephrology at the Aristotle University and a practicing nephrologist at Hippocratic Hospital in Thessaloniki, Greece. Welcome to this activity titled Meeting the Challenge of Improving Outcomes in CKD and Type 2 Diabetes, a Call to Action for Clinicians. In the first presentation titled Bringing CKD and Type 2 Diabetes into Focus, Can We Avoid the Consequences of Delayed Diagnosis and Undertreatment? We will address common issues that may be preventing clinicians from taking a proactive, intensive approach to the management of these conditions. So, When one wants to talk about CKD, they can go a long way back, about 25 centuries ago, when Hippocrates, the first actual medical scientist, described these bubbles laying on the surface of fresh urine as an indication of long-term kidney disease. And actually, in modern times, we still keep this notion as one of the two pillars to define chronic kidney disease. So chronic kidney disease is defined either by low renal function, a GFR below 60 mLs per minute, or if GFR is normal, by the evidence of kidney damage, indicated by increased albuminuria, increased albumin to creatinine ratio in the urine. One thing we need to consider is the actual incidence and prevalence of diabetes. And both of these are growing, and what we expect in the next 20 or 25 years is diabetes to have a prevalence of around 11% of the global population. So diabetes is indeed one of the major public health issues. So another major issue of public health is chronic kidney disease, which actually now is estimated to be at least at 12% of the adult population. And another issue here is that we have a lot of people almost 850 billion with CKD, but only a tiny fraction are on kidney replacement therapy. So the majority of people with chronic kidney disease have early CKD where we can actually intervene and stop the progression. So diabetes is a very, very important cause of chronic kidney disease. It's actually the number one cause of end-stage kidney disease in most countries in the world today. The second cause, hypertension, was just behind diabetes. So diabetic kidney disease and hypertensive kidney disease are nowadays, and for several decades, the most common causes of end-stage kidney disease. The good thing about diabetic kidney disease, the diabetic nephropathy, the classical diabetic nephropathy, is that it actually, in most of the patients, it follows a specific natural course. This was described in people with type 1 diabetes some decades ago. And for young people with type 2 diabetes, the situation is more or less the same. For older individuals with type 2 diabetes, the clinical cars can be 
more variable. So when diabetes starts for some time, you have no indication of kidney damage. You have increased GFR corresponding to renal hypertrophy. And then you have the actual stage of microalbuminuria, now called high albuminuria. And after a few years, you got the overt diabetic nephropathy with macroalbuminuria and a rapid loss of GFR. So there is only one good thing here, that this actual CARS evolves in most of the patients over a period of time that can extend to several years. So we have a good window, a good opportunity to actually intervene, hold the progression of the disease and save kidneys. So this is a chart that you probably all know from the KE Daigo that actually gives us the classification of chronic kidney disease. And I need to remind you that both low EGFR and increased albuminuria are independently from each other predictors of CKD progression. But there is another thing that we need to insist on. As I told you before, most patients with CKD are located at where the yellow and the orange boxes are. So at least 60 or 70% of these people are at the stage that we can effectively intervene if we diagnose it early and delay the progression of the disease. So the key solution in order to try to help these people is to follow the guidelines with regards to diagnosis of CKD. What we have to do is to do an annual EGFR and albuminuria screening for all patients with diabetes. And this will help us to actually identify the disease and then use one of the many options we have today to intervene early and stop its progression. On top of what I just told you about chronic kidney disease, both low EGFR and increased albuminuria are independent predictors of cardiovascular events and mortality. So another reason for active screening and early diagnosis is prevention of these associations, prevention of CKD progression leading to increased risk of cardiovascular events. So how good are we in diagnosing chronic kidney disease? These are screening rates from different countries with regards to ACR, albumin to creatinine ratio. And as you can see, in developed countries, this can be anywhere from 30% to 65%. So even in uh, the Western societies, the screening rates is far below what we desire in people with diabetes. So the vast majority of people that actually have chronic kidney disease do not note. Another dimension is that we have late nephrology referral of the patient associated with increased mortality. We have also important issues of communicating this disease to, to patients. This is not very well studied, but in most cases, when we say to a patient that you have chronic kidney disease, and we think that this actually tells us that they have a very increased risk of cardiovascular events and death, we don't actually have the time in everyday clinical practice to communicate that properly. So the patient, especially the elderly patients, understand something 
quite different. Can we do something to actually change the situation? Well, we have several lines of evidence that say so. This is a very large meta-analysis of observational data, including more or less almost 700,000 participants. So what you can see here is that those people that have 30% less albuminuria, 30% lower ACR, have 17% lower risk of end-stage kidney disease. And this association is there independently of the actual starting point of albuminuria. And another dimension we should not forget, if you decrease albuminuria, you not only uh, have a benefit in terms of decrease of renal disease progression, but you have a benefit in terms of decreasing cardiovascular events as well. So we have one key issue to overcome. We need to do early diagnosis. We need to follow these very, very simple rules. All bodies have more or less the similar recommendation that we have to do an annual EGFR screening, an annual albuminuria screening for people with diabetes to actually recognize chronic kidney disease early. And if you recognize this early, then you can act early and you can do what the guidelines tell you to do in order to intervene and hold the progression of chronic kidney disease. So thank you very much for watching. In the next presentation, we will explore in more detail the novel treatment options available for patients with CKD, including non-steroid MRAs. Thank you very much. Welcome to the second presentation. I'm Pantelis Sarafidis. In this presentation titled Creating a Better Future for Patients with CKD and Type 2 Diabetes, we will consider how the current trajectory of this disease can be altered and also improved with appropriate intervention, including the use of a non-steroidal MRA. For this disease, for a long time, we tried to have good glucose control, good blood pressure control, and we were using as the cornerstones of treatment one of an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. And the evidence for that is very strong, it goes back 20 years ago with studies like Renal and IDNT that helped to decrease the incidence of the composite renal endpoint. However, in both these studies and in other studies like that, there was a large residual risk remaining. So we needed additional help to delay the disease. A few years ago, we have evidence for a very important new class to help us with CKD. HCLT2 inhibitor simulates the MRAG outcome. This was a cardiovascular outcome study in people with type 2 diabetes. But a lot of the patients, more than 3,000, also have chronic kidney disease. So when the renal events came out, it was a very pleasant surprise for a lot of people. The actual composite renal endpoint was reduced to a great extent by 45%. And this was also the case for another two cardiovascular outcome trials, the CANVAS and the declared TIMI, with regards to the renal endpoint. This quickly led to another set of studies. The CREDENT study in diabetic kidney disease 
with increased albuminuria and the DAPA-CKD study in people with diabetic kidney disease and also non-diabetic kidney disease. And these studies had also some very good results in delaying the progression of renal disease. So we nephrologists are very happy that we have now this new class available to treat our patients. Again, there is still some residual risk remaining, and this tells us that probably we need some more help in order to be more effective. So what is new now? We have traditional MR antagonists like spironolactone and pleuronol. However, there are some concerns about the use of these drugs in people with CKD, mostly due to the fact that they cause increased potassium. A few years ago, we have another product in this field, a non-steroidal MR antagonist, finerenone, which has some differences from the two previous drugs. The main difference is that it has a balanced kidney-to-heart ratio with regards to tissue distribution. And in addition, the mode of action of this drug is different. It blocks the MR in a different way, blocking cell-specific recruitment of particular cofactors. So with these two differences, pineron actually does not intervene a lot in the sodium and potassium regulation, but intervenes in the actual pathways of fibrosis and inflammation in the kidney tissue. A couple of years back, we have the results of two very important studies, the Fidelio DKD and Figaro DKD for outcome trials with finerenol. Fidelio has a primary endpoint that was a renal outcome, whereas Figaro has a primary endpoint that was a cardiovascular outcome. Both were on people with diabetic kidney disease with albuminuria. Fidelio DKD had a slight more advanced CKD population. Fidelity is a combined analysis that was pre-specified of those two studies together. This is the primary point of Fidelity DKD, Figaro DKD, the clear reduction of the composite cardiovascular outcome. And this is what most people were interested in. What happens to potassium? In order for you to have a better look, this is the fidelity analysis with the combined population. The increase of potassium was not big, and the actual drug discontinuation due to hyperkalemia was quite small. At least it was much smaller than previous trials with combined drug blockade that was stopped early. So both Fidelio and FigureDKT were able to conclude without any important safety issue. These are the renal outcomes, the components of the renal composite. And as you can see here, more or less, there was a homogeneous reduction in all of them. These are the cardiovascular outcomes. And the composite is mainly driven by reduction in heart failure hospitalization and cardiovascular death. In addition, these are data from fidelity and analysis on all cause and cardiovascular mortality that was just announced a few weeks ago. And as you can see here in the on-treatment analysis, there is also a significant reduction in all cause and cardiovascular mortality. Another question that a lot of people have is how does kinerinone work with HCLT2 inhibitors? So this is an analysis on people that were on or off 
let's say the two inhibitors in baseline, and there was no interaction. If anything, it seems that phenerenone can have a synergistic effect with HCLT2 inhibitors. So, to conclude, what are the actual recommendations? On top of strict glycemic control and profession control, you need to use an ACE or an ARP, and you should also use an HCLT2 inhibitor for people with CKD and type 2 diabetes. As you can see here, phenerenone is added with the level a evidence for both protection against CKD progression and cardiovascular events. So to summarize, our modern treatment options are four pillars. One relates to blood pressure and glycemic control. The other relates to the old cornerstone, ACE or ARP. And the two new are HCLT2 inhibitors and phenerenone. Thank you very much for watching. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.